this is a rich chapter, and um, I admittedly cannot dig into everything that is in our passage this morning. So I want to bring some things to your attention, and uh, hopefully it will give you a lot to meditate on and think about this week. Um, but what we're mainly going to do this morning is to do a little heart examination and maybe some heart surgery. Um, so I want you to think about a phrase that we're all familiar with, and uh, many of you have said, and hopefully after this you won't say it again. Uh, the phrase is, just follow your heart. And whenever it received that wise, timeless instruction, uh, it is all too common, and it is about as vain and empty as it is foolish. And if you th- don't think it's foolish, after this sermon, uh, come talk to me, please. Um, but the idea of just follow your heart is the height of relativism. Relativism states that whatever is true to you um, can all, can, uh, doesn't have to be true to everyone else and that we each, are, uh, we each are allowed our own subjective morality. My truth is my truth and your truth is, is, is your truth. Um, you can say two plus two equals five and uh, you are perfectly valid in that. Also foolish. But what this idea of just follow your heart says that, that our, our heart in an in a English Western understanding, the seat of our emotions, I feel therefore I am. So the, the, what our heart desires most is what's best for us. And if I just follow my heart, uh, whatever if seems true to me and is right to me is what's best for me. Now, any one of us who have followed that for more than about five minutes knows how, how futile that is. But how many people go about their entire lives going from one heart desire to another? Because if we're honest with ourselves, our heart's desires lead us to commit adultery. Our heart's desires lead us to pursue selfish gain. Our heart's desires lead us to avoid difficult conversations and tell people what they, they want to hear so that they'll, they'll like us. And our heart's desire leads us to murder out of convenience or just for our own advancement. And typically what will happen is our heart's desires leads us to switch directions or allegiances like we switch underwear. One is wise, the other is not. And so we want to make sure some of you will get that later. And some of you should get that. Um, But we don't want to be people who are tossed to and fro who I feel this way, you know, the, the, we, we have a, like a, a, a theological daisy. I'm, I, he loves me, he loves me not. I should go this way, I should go this way. We serve a God who is, who is steadfast. And so we've talked about this before, but I want to dig in a little bit more here. That when the Hebrews talk about the heart, it's different from our conceptualization. It's, it's a much deeper concept. Now it is tied to emotions But it is not just emotions. It's not just butterflies and rainbows. It's understanding. It's it's thoughts that drive emotions. It's it's who you are really which determine your emotions um, and your actions. I love Josh's saying that emotions make a great caboose but a terrible conductor. That's that's kind of the idea of the the Hebrew heart. And so for them, for the Jew, the heart was up here, in the head, not here. They didn't have, they didn't understand anatomy, but our heart, the the organ that that, that pumps blood has nothing to do with emotions, so we don't know anything about anatomy either. Um, 
So when Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things and no one should, should trust it because of the fall, that's a condition we need to face head on. And so instead of following our heart, the Bible tells us to circumcise it. Kind of a weird mind picture. But the, the, the idea is that you, you, cut apart the, you cut away the unnecessary flesh. You, you set your heart aside from all the things of this world that, that, that pull at it. You set your, your heart apart to the Lord. Cut it off from the love of the world and direct it toward the love of the Lord. And so by training and redirecting your heart, there are expected results, blessings from the, adult, from the Lord, and that is the purpose of our poem this morning. The connection between the, uh, the state of our heart, the condition of our heart, and the condition of our lives. And so in this poem, we're going to see the connection of the vertical and horizontal plane. The vertical is man before God. The horizontal is, is man before man in the rest of the world. Also, we're going to see the interplay between the internal condition and the external outcomes. So, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, as Jesus told us, but out of the abundance of the heart will also give some kind of direction and result to the way and manner of our lives. Um, and so I want to say something um, shocking, but it won't be by the end of it. This is a prosperity gospel. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Our God is good and he gives good things. And those who honor him, he prospers. By his standards. More on that later. So we've got five sections this morning. You'll see it in your outline. It'll be up on, on the screen. Uh, one thing I want you to notice as we go through this, all the odd verses are going to have a command. Uh, the outline should be up there. Um, same that's in your, your, your uh, sermon notes too. All the, out, all the odd verses have a command or a desire from the father to son. All the even verses will have a result, will be. So you've got the desire, the command, um, and then the result, what will be, which comes out of this desire. So you're kind of working through admonition and spiritual devotion, but the heart of this is verses 5 through 8, this complete devotion that will be completely rewarded um, begins and ends with my son, bracketed with the spiritual condition, which affects the temporal condition and blessings. So Hopefully that makes sense. It'll make a lot more sense as we go through it. But without further ado, let's jump in. We're going to read, or I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, never let us forget as we come before you as father, the only way we can do that is as sons. 
being bought and redeemed by your son, that we too might share in his inheritance, that we too might cry out, Abba, Father, through the Spirit. Lord, I pray that your Spirit this morning would remind us of the words of Christ, would convict us of our sin, would direct us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, that we may live lives that are pleasing to you, that are honoring to you, because in Christ you have given us new hearts and new desires And may we grow those and stoke those that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so verses 1 and 2 are the introduction and kind of the the key to understanding the rest. So we're going to be a little um, theology heavy up front. So to kind of set the the stage. And then we're going to get into more of the practical as as we go. So first thing, my son. We've seen this in the last few chapters. um, But he says something interesting here. Do not forget my teaching. And so what I want you to see first is he's not questioning his son's memory. He's questioning his son's faithfulness. He's questioning his son's obedience. He's not saying, son, I know that you're going to forget this stuff quickly. Which is probably true. But what he's more saying is is don't harden your, your heart to it. Don't ignore it. Don't run away from it. And says, um... Do not forget my teaching. So directly, when he says teaching, he's speaking about the book of Proverbs in its entirety. But by extension, he's speaking about all of Scripture. The teaching of the wise and godly father here is equal with the word of God and trusting in the Lord. And so that will be fleshed out more. So there are several exhortations to the heart. This is the first. My son, do not, spoken in the negative, forget my teaching, and again, spoken in the negative, but let your heart um, keep my commandments. This word for keep is interesting. It should bring to mind last week, there's two things that the Lord does when wisdom comes upon a believer. He guards and watches. This is the same Hebrew word for guard, protect, hold on to. This is not just keep in obedience, which it's implied here, but in order to be obedient, you must keep and guard it. You must hold on to it as the Lord guards you, keeping you from stumbling and from every false way. You must guard his teaching. You must not let it be attacked. And so this, there's a uh, pattern that develops in, in verse one. Uh, excuse me, one and two in this introduction. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. If you do those things, continue in this, Keep my commandments, there will be a result. Here's the first will be. For your length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. This is an old formula. We see this all the way back to the Hebrews in the wilderness. And so I want you to look at Deuteronomy 4. You can keep a finger there. These first couple will be up on the screen. But there's this theme in Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6 Tying the heart to the understanding. So kind of laying this theological foundation that was, that was made with the Israelites in the wilderness. So verse, nine, or verse 39 of chapter 4. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and earth beneath and there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes. 
Notice the connection between the heart and understanding who God is and obedience. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command to you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So right away, this this connection between your heart, your obedience, and God blessing you. There will be a direct result for your obedience. And this ties in really well with the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is also tied to the land. Paul, when he fleshes this out in, um, in Ephesians 6, he says this is the first commandment with a promise. This important promise that how you listen to your father's instruction, what we're seeing you know, how does that look practically? It's being fleshed out for us in Proverbs. That will be tied to what happens in your life. So, verse 16 of chapter 5. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So the connection here of keeping commandments, which will lead to a result, long life, Length of days and, and years of life. And uh, we've talked about this a, a couple times in the last few weeks. But in the Hebrew understanding, they didn't have a fully developed heaven and hell eternal life theology. For them, the blessings of the Lord was being on this earth as long as possible because what happens after is a bit of a mystery. So this is a, a high blessing to have peace, to have shalom. Meaning that your, your days will be complete, you will, you will lack nothing, and they'll be long. This is what every Hebrew man looks forward to. Um, uh, but there's some interesting seeds of eternal life. If you look at Proverbs 12, 28, it says this. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Now this would have seemed figurative to a Hebrew. But what is this, th- this path of life? For them, but more importantly, what is it for us when we have the fullness of God's revelation? Well, it must begin. There is only no death. There is the the path of life through the one who went before us. Isaiah 53.10. Like in Mark, we spent half of our time in the last few chapters in Isaiah 53. But we can't avoid Isaiah 53. But I want you to see the gospel connection here with the length of days Isaiah 53.10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. This promise of prolonged days is only possible if the sacrificial lamb goes first, if the suffering servant goes first. This is the will of the Lord, to crush him. So that these people who are wandering in the wilderness, these people who are giving sacrifices again and again, would now have prolonged days because he conquered death, because he rose from the grave, because he goes on forever. Those who are in him, their days shall be long. They shall go on forever. And so this is fully fleshed out in Paul. When we look at Paul in Romans 10. So I want to bring all these ideas together uh, and then we're going to apply some of this. So Romans 10 should be familiar with verses 9 and 10. But I want you to see these, these themes here. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so 
Thoughts of the mind, confessions of the mouth, belief in the heart leads to salvation. What is salvation? For with, for with uh, the heart one believes and is justified. So in right standing before God, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so uh, if you go on, the, the, the salvation that Paul speaks of many times in chapter 10 is eternal life. So this idea that we get in seed form, that the, the understanding, the, the heart dispositions of God's people leads to long days and leads to life is fulfilled completely in Christ. So they get these, these um, promises in acorn form and we get them in the, the, the fully developed oak tree of, of the gospel. And so for believers, we can have hope of a good life as they did. But we can also have assurance of eternal life because of Christ who went before us. And so we read this through the eyes of the initial, re, the initial audience first, and then we read it through the eyes of those who have the fullness of revelation in Christ. And so I want you to see it through their lens, but also through Christ as, as we go. Um, and so now, let's go on to verse 3. So, continuing the thought, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. All right, so these are um, two Hebrew words here for steadfast love and faithfulness. They, they, they rhyme. Um, and so it's to bring to your, it's, they rhyme in Hebrew, not in English. Uh, but they're to bring to your, to your mind covenant loyalty and to be true or, or, or truth. So, the adulterous woman that we saw last week, she forsakes covenant. You, my son, do not forsake covenant. Be hesed, be, be loyal to the covenant. Be a met, be, be true to the covenant. This is what will lead to your length of, of, of days. And then, and then how do you do that? What's, the, what's the, uh, the pattern for that? Two very practical ways. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Let's look at these for a moment. Bind them. This is an external reminder. Bind them around your neck. Basically, the idea is you carry these wherever you go. They guide your actions. Wherever you go, your, your neck goes with you. And so put them on your neck so you won't lose them. So they will, they will, always, they will always be within, within reach. They will always be right there with you. These are the, the actions externally. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. This is internal. So you've got the actions being bound around your neck, the internal dispositions written on your heart. Um, and both we see, I told you to keep a, a finger in Deuteronomy, both we see in Deuteronomy 6. So when the Lord gives the retelling, uh, the, the second issuing of the law, he, he tells them how to do this faithfully. And so Deuteronomy 6, all this is brought together in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's coming later in this passage. And with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart, internal. You shall teach them diligently to your children. This is what the, the, the father is doing here in Proverbs. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now here's the external. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand or your neck 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I don't have time to get into all that, but you should write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. What's the point here? The point here is there is only one God, the God who, re- the God who made you, the God who redeemed you. Don't forget about him. Write his law on your heart. Never let it leave you. And in case you're prone to forget, put it between your eyes, wrap it around your, your wrist, around your neck. Write it on your doorpost. So every time you go, go to your house, you, you come in. Every time you wake up and speak to your children, every time you go to bed, you remember that I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember this. This is God's plan, and this is God's desire for faithful sons because he loves us, and he knows what's best. And so that's kind of um, the, the, the old covenant foundation for this. I told you we're going to front load theology and um, get to application after this. But in order for us to understand what this means for us, all of these, these foundations that we find in the old covenant are fulfilled in the new. The new covenant promises coming out of the old, new heart. Ezekiel tells us that the, the Lord will put his spirit within us and he will give us a new heart. The law um, promises, or excuse me, not, not the law, um, the, the law will be written on our hearts in Jeremiah 31. These new covenant promises that in Christ, these, these things that we have to keep up ourselves will now be done by us in the Holy Spirit. And so I want to um, look at 2 Corinthians 3. So here's our covenant understanding, and then we'll move on. 2 Corinthians 3, this is important for bringing the old and the new covenant together, for bringing the, the uh, heart and salvation ideas together. So when Paul commends the church in Corinth, because they were messed the first time he wrote to them, the second letter has a much better tone. He says, and you, this is uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Basically, This is a letter of good report because you have matured and you have grown and I am proud of you. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Here's the nature of the new covenant. The heart that is such a big concern in the old covenant. Now, the new covenant is written on these hearts. And how do we know? Paul tells us specifically. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Keep that in mind as we read these these next few verses. This is not the try harder and God will be pleased with you message. That is why the old covenant could not stand, because that cannot last forever. This is the, the reminder of what it is apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ and what it is through the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That nothing comes from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. What's the nature of the new covenant? This is a big question, and Paul gives us the answer. The new covenant is not of the letter. It's not purely external, but of the spirit. It is internal. The letter kills. The letter of the law, if, if you just keep the law externally, if you don't write it on your heart, you are dead. But if it is on your heart, it is of the Spirit, and the Spirit gives life. This is the nature of the new covenant, and this is the fullness of everything that's going on here uh, in chapter 3. 
Um, if you want to read further on this, read the rest of 2 Corinthians 3. I was going to go further, but for sake of time, I won't. Um, specifically, verses 14 through 18, if you want to see Paul flesh this out. So, what do we take away from here? God was gracious in the old covenant. They did not deserve mercy at all. He gave a way for man to be reconciled to God, but it required a lot of obedience and a lot of sacrifices and all that. But in the new covenant, God gives grace upon grace. God gives grace through Jesus Christ the way by making us new creations with new minds, new hearts, and new desires. So, here's what we get in verse four. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and the sight of man. Um, the internal will have external consequences. Here's the first example. So the immediate result of, uh, of this discipline is, is favor and good success. So success we get, favor. Um, this means a lot more to ancient Near Eastern people in an honor and shame culture. So when they say in the sight of, it's literally before the eyes. So in an ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, they don't smile to your, to, to your face and then talk about you behind your back. They will look at you in the face and tell you how much of a fool you are. And so when you have honor in the sight of God, that means God looks at you and his favor is, is upon you. He knows everything about you. And so if God's favor is upon you, then the favor of man will be, on, be upon you by extension. So, but if we seek the favor of man, we will ultimately get neither. So the, the, the idea here is if you bind these things on your hearts, you will have good success. And so uh, this success is kind of understanding and wise decisions or um, prudence that leads to prosperity. There is a prosperity in, in God. Um, however, it's not shallow materialism, and we'll get there a little later on. But what I want you to see here is that if you do these things, God will look favorably upon you if you live this way. And by extension, other people will see the result of what God has done in you, and you will be a blessing to them. All right, now to the, the, the heart of this. Verse 5. Uh, there's a reason so many, of this, so many of us memorize this as, as kids. It is such a beautiful reminder, and it's so um, thick and deep with theology and imagery. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. First thing, trust. Um, the root of this Hebrew word means to lean on. And so for us, what does it mean to trust? So when I lean like this, I put my weight on this, on this pulpit. I am trusting that this pulpit is going to hold me. And if I put more weight on it, I am putting my trust in this. And so this is how we are to, to trust the Lord. So what does it look like for us to lean on the Lord, for us to trust the Lord? Well, it should look like this. It should look like for, if I could climb up on top of it, I could climb, but I'm not going to climb on top of this and stand on it. <laughs> But that's what it should look like for us to trust the Lord. I put all my weight on him because he is immovable. But in reality, what does it look like for us to trust the Lord? Is this kind of how we, we, we go through our lives? We just lean on him a little bit. I think I got it. I think I got it. Lean on him a little bit. I think I got it. I think I got it. No, just me. Is this what we do, right? We know we can trust in the Lord. We should hold on to him with all of our might. But yet, we think we got it. We love being on the uh, tightrope with, with, with no net. But this idea of trusting in the Lord is, is leaning on him. And this is important. 
as we, as we move on. But I want us to think about this. Do we know what it means to trust in the Lord? Because this is a Christian platitude that is said all the time. Someone's going through something difficult. Someone's struggling. Someone isn't understanding the scriptures. You just got to trust the Lord. And this is a good thing to say, but do we really know what that means when we say it? Or is it just some kind of empty idea that if you think enough good thoughts or you, you think you're trusting in the Lord, that good things will actually happen? But do we know how to do that? And so I want to show you how this, that this passage helps us um, work it out. And so do we know how to lean on him? That's why this next line is needed. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. Now that you know the root of the Hebrew word, you know the wordplay that's going on here. This is a verb that means the opposite. Lean on the Lord, don't lean on your own understandings. Trust in the Lord, don't trust in your own understandings. Um, the Lord is a rock. We can lean on him because he is immovable, he is unshakable. Our understanding is like a Jenga tower. We lean on it with more than, more than one finger and it's gonna fall apart. And so the first lesson is don't think, we're going to get in, this, in the next verse, but don't think too highly of yourself. Don't lean too much on your own understanding. Jesse and I were talking about this the other day, and he said it sounds like a trust fall. It's like, yeah, leaning on your own understanding is like a trust fall with yourself. Uh, it's not going to work. And so you don't want to do this trust fall thinking you're going to catch yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't put your thoughts before God's thoughts. Don't think that you can figure all this out, that, that I'm going to try everything within my own arsenal, and then I'll get to the wisdom of God later. Bruce Walk, he says, we are fools to trust in our own thimble of knowledge when the Lord has a vast, deep ocean of wisdom and understanding. This is what skeptics do. They hold on to their little Dixie cup, thinking that everything they need, everything that can be fit in, we know not much fits in our brains. But yet we try to convince ourselves that there's enough in our brains, enough in our little Dixie cup of understanding to make our way through life. That is just foolish. But how often do we as believers do the same thing? We try to amass knowledge for ourselves and think that if we figure it all out, everything will go well. Number one, don't trust in your own, don't lean on your own understanding. Number two, in all your ways, Acknowledge him in all your ways. We should remember this common theme. We've looked at this the last few weeks. Ways, walks, paths. Everything you do, acknowledge him. This English word is trying to get the, the sense of the Hebrew word yada, uh, which means to know. To, to know in, in, in a sense where you truly comprehend what you are speaking about. So when you acknowledge him, you speak about someone that you know well. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Confess his full greatness and his full authority. It's knowledge that leads to trust and trust that leads to obedience. And that obedience makes for straight paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So summary, how do we put all this together? If you think about the Lord and what would please him and everything because you know him and because you trust him, he will direct you. He will move obstacles. He will keep you from stumbling. So you know the difference between straight paths and crooked paths if you've ever got lost in the woods or purposely got lost, lost in the woods like I do. Um, and if you've been on a hike with me, you know that, that uh, off-limit signs just get ignored. Um, 
But there is a difference between going off the, off the path and you're tripping over roots. You're looking behind your shoulder for, for, for predators. You're, you're swatting down uh, mosquitoes. You are, you're, you're cutting back vines and, and bushes. You have to trudge your way through the forest. You have to make that path yourself. You have to clear it yourself. And hopefully, your sense of direction, which is not very reliable in the woods, is good enough to get you back to the path. Now, that's fun for an afternoon in the woods. That's not fun for life. The alternative is for those of you who like the easy path, the one that has nice signs and uh, mile markers and tells you exactly uh, where you're coming from and, and, and where you're going. This is the contrast here. My wife's nodding her head because that's my wife. Um, this is the, the, the contrast here. That the Lord makes your, your path straight. He, he smooths the ground. He gets rid of the obstacles. If you acknowledge him in all your ways and if you don't lean on your own understanding. But if you lean on your own understanding, it's like, it's like trudging through the woods without a compass and without a map. You might eventually get there, but it's not going to be easy for you. So that's what he, he's kind of building on here. And so I have a question, a common question that, we, that people ask me. And you've probably asked yourself, how do I know the will of God in my life? How can I know what God wants me to do? How can I know where God wants me to go? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust not in your own understanding. He will make your path straight. First question when you ask, what is God's will for my life? Are you doing that? Which, which one does your life look like? Are you trudging through the woods on your own, trying to cut a path in front of you? Or are you following what the Lord has laid out? Are you, are you following his design and direction? Do you ask, what pleases the Lord? Are you acknowledging him before you're asking, Lord, what is your will for my life? Too many people live with no thought to the Lord. And then they wonder when they need counsel at the very last resort, they use God as, as their parachute and they, they, they rub the magic lamp and wonder why Aladdin's genie doesn't jump out of the bottle and give you three wishes. You have not acknowledged him in all your ways. You're trusting in your own understanding. You're not trusting in the Lord. How many of you have done this? How often do we do this? Lord, I'm gonna exhaust all my options first. And then I'm going to pull a ripcord when I give up. Continuing with the same idea, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. What, what does that mean? Look to God's wisdom, not your own. Uh, in short, don't be your own number one fan. Uh, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the wisest of them all? If you love the sound of your own thoughts and ideas, this might be you. It might be me. Um, here's, here's the remedy. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Don't exalt your wisdom. Exalt the Lord's. Exalt him. If you do that, if you don't exalt yourself, but you exalt the Lord, here's what's going to happen. Here's the result. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like struggling on your own, trying again and again to make sense of the electronics drawer of cables in your head? Everyone has that, that drawer with old chargers and USB cords and stuff that's all tied in a knot. 
And that's what happens in our minds when, 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 we, when we try to make sense of our own wisdom. Have you ever just shut that drawer and trusted in the Lord and felt healed? Anybody else? Amen. Have you ever felt refreshed? Have you ever struggled and, and, and struggled and been exhausted in your own understanding and you fall before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do it without you. And he's saying, about time. I've been here all along, all along. And the wisdom of the Lord is like a cold drink on a summer day in Florida. It is refreshment to your soul. It is healing toward your body. How many times has the presence of God been like that in our lives? Probably far too few than we care to admit. But this is what we should do. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing for your flesh. This is the heart of the poem. This is what the father wants the son to take away from. And then so he gives a couple more examples. Verse 9. Honor, this in, in Hebrew is to make heavy. This is a weighty thing. Put God in his rightful place. Look to God's glory. Honor God. This is a heavy thing. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Your wealth. God has given it to you as a steward. You come into this world with nothing and you leave with nothing, as, as Job told his friends. As a steward, you are to honor what the Lord has given you. The first fruits of all your, your produce. Basically, your increase. This is tithe language. You put God first. You give what gives him glory first, and he will provide the rest. You will have no lack. Honor God with your wealth. The first, the first fruits of all of your produce. All of your revenue to him first. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. These are two word pictures to the most important commodities to the Israelites. Grain, which you stored up in barns, and wine. These are both very important industries. Because if you did not have um, a good grape harvest, you would not have wine to drink. Um, because there wasn't a lot of available water and wine just makes your meals better. Also, if you have some kind of drought or, or famine and, and you, don't, you don't have grain, you're going to have to sell away everything that you have to trade with your neighbors. If you can provide for your, your family, these are the most important things. You need to eat and you need to drink for your family temporally. Here's the, 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 the kind of internal versus the external. If you honor the Lord in your heart with what you have, he will take care of the externals. In our language, your refrigerator will never go empty and your, and, and your pantry will always be full. Same kind of idea. Most of us are not farmers here, but we get that. And this sounds good. And it is good. And it's a good promise. But I think to us it sounds too good to be true. Because it sounds kind of like a prosperity gospel. But notice the order here. This only comes after trusting the Lord. This only comes after honoring the Lord. The material blessings are not the ends in themselves. He is first. He is our joy. And from him, you gain spiritual and material blessings. Here's the problem with the prosperity gospel, the prosperity gospel, capital T, is that it puts God between you and your happiness. 
is that you must get through God and appease God so that you may be happy. This is different. Your happiness comes from the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is a prosperity gospel. Proverbs, in in the right way, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is our happiness. He is our refreshment. He is our healing. I think we, especially in the reformed-leaning world, we're so afraid of prosperity gospel that we avoid material prosperity, that we avoid material promises. God does promise good things. We need to read this and say, these promises are true too. God is a good father, and he wants good things for his children. He, he honors those who are faithful. He honors his faithful sons, those that, those that tithe and give with a faithful and joyful heart, those that work diligently unto the Lord, those that give selflessly to others. The Lord provides for and blesses them internally, spiritually, and, and matures them, but also externally, materially as well. And so we should praise God for his good gifts, and woe to us if we don't, but also woe to us if we love the gifts more than we love him, if we look to the material blessings for our fulfillment. These are, if you look at the the domino effect, these are at the end of the line. It is keep the commandments, trust the Lord, fear the Lord, honor him. That stuff will come, it's guaranteed, but don't put it first before him. So I want to look at a couple examples and then clarify that and we'll look at our our last point. Uh, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 9 and 10. Then I'll give some kind of clarifying statements. Psalm 34, 9 and 10 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is a promise from the Lord. Also, Psalm 37, 25 and 26. I have been young and now am old. This is from David. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He, the righteous one, is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. This is how God treats his, his children. And so, just to qualify this, It does not happen every time the same way. It does not happen in every season. But you are of so much more value than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field that the Lord will provide for you. And this is not a call to desire wealth, to compare your situation with others, but to train your heart's desire after the Lord. This is why we need the new covenant. Because in the new covenant, he gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires, and so he will fulfill the desires that he has given you that are good desires. And so this is why we end on discipline, because this is a discipline, because the one other thing that is required for this heart is the discipline of the Lord. We know that things won't go easy all the time. We know that the Lord doesn't give us everything we want when we want it because we are spoiled brats but also because we need to be taught and instructed by the Lord's discipline. This heart that is is, um, being encouraged here is not possible without the discipline of the Lord. So let's jump into 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 
So concluding again with my son, even when the Lord disciplines, it's a blessing. It's a good thing. It's a result of trusting in the Lord, and it shows that he loves us because he cares more about our holiness than our easiness of life. So let's talk about this for a moment. What is the discipline of the Lord? Um, Because in our flesh, we don't like discipline. Discipline is always associated with bad things. We only think about the bad things that the, the, the discipline comes from, but we don't think about, about the good results that come on the other side of discipline. The discipline of the Lord, it sanctifies us and it shapes us in the image of Christ. And it's, and it's either one of two things. It's either one, the Lord correcting current sinful behavior in us right now so that we please the Lord, or two, it is, it is refining and, and, and removing conditions of our fleshly heart that will lead us to greater sin and greater heartache in the future. Either way, God is trying to make us look more like Christ, and it's painful in the moment, but it's helpful. Discipline is hard. And so that's why this, this, this term is used. And we're going to finish in Hebrews, 13, or Hebrews 12 where we began. But the discipline of the Lord works on the heart, either on current sins or addressing sins that may appear in the, in the future, refining us. Children don't like discipline, but they need it. And if you think you're just talking about your own kids, you are the ones I'm talking about. I am the one that I'm talking about. We as children, God's children, do not like it because we want to be spoiled brats, but the Lord loves us and doesn't want us to be spoiled brats. He loves us enough that we would be uncomfortable for a moment, but mature for a long time. So that's why this language, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is one of the greatest blessings of the incarnation the person and work of Christ, is that he is the true son. He is the only one who deserves to be loved. He is the only one who is rightfully fitting to be connected with the Father. In the Davidic covenant, when God promises to to David, I will will send a son who will be on your throne forever. I will discipline him, Psalm 19 or Psalm 89, um, I will discipline his children so that they may be faithful. The the, the idea here is the one true son is disciplined for the disobedient sons, for the orphans to be brought in. The the view of of adoption brings us who has no inheritance, no right, into the house of our father. We sit at the table of the king. We are promised a seat in his home forever forever. Jesus says, I go away to prepare that for you. He is the first among many sons, bringing many more sons to glory. And we have that promise in the gospel. We have that through Christ and his his death and resurrection. But we don't like to be disciplined right now. I just want all the blessings in the future. I just want the good stuff. But I don't like your discipline because it's hard. Because it attacks my flesh. It attacks the stuff that I'm holding most tightly to. And only you can answer what that is. But I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you are holding on most tightly to? What, where is it that you are resisting the Lord's discipline? Where is it that you want your flesh and you are trusting in your own understanding? I know better. This makes more sense to me than, than trusting in the Lord. Will you let the Lord discipline you and root that out? Because as soon as I said that, everyone in this room, a thought came to mind, as it did for me. 
So let's look at Christ in Hebrews 12. And we will wrap up here. So this is where we started. This is where I want us to end. Notice the connection. Hebrews 12 starts with Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who the joy set before him. The gospel is Jesus running to the cross in obedience as joy. He faces suffering with joy. And what is that joy? Those who he goes to the cross for. Consider him, verse 3, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you, this is the beautiful gospel promise, he endured so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is how we continue. This is how hearts of faithful sons are, are developed. We look to Christ. We look to the founder and perfecter of our faith. We look to the one who went to the cross, who went before us. And in case you think you've got it bad and no one understands, our high priest understands because you, verse 4, have not struggled against sin and yet resisted the point of shedding your own blood. You have not prayed so much for the weight that is on your shoulders that blood has come out of your forehead, I guarantee it. But he has. He has for you. And when you tend to have a pity party and, and feel bad for yourself, verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, quoting directly from Proverbs 3. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Keep, in, keep on trusting in the Lord and following the Lord for discipline, because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If the Lord disciplines you, praise the Lord. That is a hard thing to do. There's not a week that goes by that the Lord is not exposing something within my heart that I must surrender to him. And my flesh wants to make excuses and wants to defend myself, and wants to shut out the voice of the Lord. But the healing and refreshment comes when you say, praise you, thank you, Lord, for disciplining me. Thank you that you love me enough that you want me to mature. Thank you that you care about me enough that you don't want me to, to remain in my childlike state, drinking on milk, but you want me to be a man eating steak, eating the good things of my God. We're not illegitimate children. If indeed you are in Christ, you're a son with all the rights and privileges of a son, but you need to act like one. And because he loves you enough to have you act like one, he disciplines you. We don't like the Lord to expose our weaknesses we don't want to go through difficulty, but we need to see this as him burning off the dross. You are 10 karat gold, and he wants you to be 14. And when you get to 14, he wants you to be 18. And when Christ returns, you will be 24 karat gold, pure, without spot or blemish. Amen. He goes on. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us, the, less, the lesson from the greater to the lesser. Earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. That's how good God is. I am holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and I want you to be like me. I want you as my sons to bear my image. I want you to reflect me in holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, and it is, rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. This is what the writer of Proverbs is pointing us to. So what do we do with this? Therefore, lift your drooping heads, because there's a tendency in this room and in our lives to say, man, this seems hard. Man, I'm a wretch. Man, I am sinful. Man, I fall short. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. This is runner's language. You must endure, continue in the race, even when it seems hard, and make straight paths for your feet. Notice the path language being brought here. So that what is lame may not be out of joint, but rather healed. Here's that healing, and we know it only comes from trust in the Lord. So I just want to leave you with a couple clothing, closing thoughts. Many people want the blessings of the Lord without trusting the Lord, without honoring the Lord, and without the discipline of the Lord. Is that you? Do you want only what the Lord will give you without trusting him, fearing him, honoring him, and thanking him for his discipline? Any of you uh, who grew up in Christian households and your parents spanked you, good for your parents. Have you, as older men and women, thanked your, your parents for spanking you? You should. It's probably the reason you're not in jail right now. This is how our Father loves us. So my last question here, is your heart the one that can be described in this poem? Is it a new heart with new desires that trusts in the Lord completely, that leans on him completely, that places his understanding and his wisdom above your own? Are you following a wicked heart? Are you stumbling through the forest trying to blaze your own trail, hoping that you can somehow earn a favor of whatever God you've made up in your image. Think about that before we approach the table, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you. You are great and awesome and loving God. How could we ever be called sons of the living God? What a miracle in itself. How humbling it is to be called by your name. How humbling it is to be disciplined. Lord, many of us are resisting discipline this morning. Many of us are holding on to the dark corners of our heart that we think no one knows about. But you see all things. We are laid naked and bare before you. Lord, help us to surrender all things to you. Help us to trust in you in all things. Lord, if we are in Christ, we have new hearts. Your law is written on it. And we ask that your spirit would grow us and search us and convict us 
where we fall short, where we are seeking after other things. But Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is not in Christ, they have a heart of stone. It is dead. It is immovable. There is no life in it. Lord, may your spirit come into them and revive them. Draw them to yourself. Open their ears, open their eyes that they may trust in you for the first time and that they may follow you and that we may rejoice with all the angels in heaven when a sinner turns from his sin. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.